This one's on. I will confess that it uh, still strikes me as strange to hear the Ten Commandments from Exodus read as they were this morning. I heard and learned them as a whole bunch of thou shalts and thou shalt nots. Anyone else? Thou shalt, thou shalt, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. A few years back in the heyday of the to post or not to post the Ten Commandments in schools and courthouses when the ACLU was heading up a lawsuit that went all the way to the Supreme Court. Michael Feldman, the host of What Do You Know, quipped that perhaps we could save taxpayer money and just memorize them. (laughs) No need to post them if we know them, right? Problem solved. True confessions, though, how many of you know the uh, Ten Dual Commandments better than the Ten Commandments? Anyone out there? At least one. Hamilton lovers? No? Most disputes die and... No one shoots. Thank you. Not bad. You pay them in advance, you treat them with civility, you have them turn around. So we can have deniability. Look at this. We know the Ten Dual Commandments. Lyrics from Hamilton, for those of you who are lost right now. (laughs) I would guess that most of us who grew up in Christian churches inherited a rather confused impression of the law. I know that I did. The Ten Commandments, growing up, were good. They were very, very good. So good, in fact, that we ought to etch them in stone and post them in public places. So that all our elected officials could also presumably reference and follow them. But the rest of the law was bad, very, very bad. So bad, in fact, that the coming of Jesus completely erased the former power and significance of the law, rendering it impotent and irrelevant. We are freed, this is what I learned in my Christian church, freed from the legalistic nitpickiness of the law while those who still live by the law are regrettably and hopelessly enslaved. Now, I am far from the first Christian to feel compelled to say a word on behalf of the law. Christian apologists have set out to redeem Christian understandings of the law for years, and many of these Christian writers appeal to an implicit freedom that is hidden within the law. They point out, for example, that there are significantly more thou shalt nots than thou shalts. To be exact, in the Ten Commandments, eight prohibitions forbidding very specific crimes and only two positively stated commandments. So as long as we're not murdering, stealing, and coveting, that leaves a whole lot of life unregulated in which we're invited to maximize our love for God and neighbor within an ethic of freedom. And all that is true in one sense, but it fails to deal with the rest of the law, the rest of the law that we Christians have been content to pretty much ignore or to deem archaic or inapplicable. But I think, I think the law might have something for us, too. I don't think that the law is just a foil for Jesus. I don't think the law is reducible or summarizable by the Ten Commandments, but I 
also don't think that we ought to follow the law in the way that contemporary Jews do. Jewish understanding and living of the law is distinctly Jewish. It's not universal, it's not Judeo-Christian, it's Jewish. Early Jewish rabbis worked within the legal material of the Hebrew Bible, beginning with these passages in Exodus, and they discerned 613 separate laws within the Big L Law. Do I have that right? Yeah, 613. And contemporary observant Jews still live according to these 613 laws, or at least the men do, but that's a tangent to big for me this morning. I don't think we ought to structure our lives, our Christian lives, around these 613 laws the way that contemporary Jews do. But I do still adamantly hold that the law has something for us. It has something bigger, something more meaningful to teach us than we've often been led to believe. And since today is the day of the Oscars, I will give a shout out. I would like to thank today... A dear Jewish friend of mine who deeply influenced my conception of the law and my emerging understanding of what the law might offer us as Christians. We have had so many long conversations over the years, mostly during my three years at seminary at Isla School of Theology in Denver, Colorado, that I don't even remember if these thoughts are all my own or none of my original material here, or something that just came together out of our dialogue and dance with one another over years. So here it is. While there may be considerable freedom in the Ten Commandments, they're only a very small part of the rest of the law, the 613 laws, wrapped up in the Mosaic Covenant. And those Ten Commandments are important part, they're an important part to be sure. According to tradition, these ten words of God were given directly to the people, while the rest of the law was mediated through Moses and Aaron. So these were special because they were given just to the people. But there's still only 10. There are 10 among multitudes, 10 among 613, according to rabbinic Judaism. And there's simply no denying that the rest of the law is quite detailed and quite restrictive. So you can be sure that when I imagine curling up with a good book and a cup of tea on a dark, rainy Seattle night, it is not Leviticus that I imagine curling up with. So this is what the law might offer Christians. And this is my sermon in a single sentence. So if you've veered off somewhere else, come back for this one sentence, and then you can go off again. (laughs) The law offers Christians a clear message that the small things matter. The small things matter. God cares about the seemingly insignificant details of life the concrete and the material and the mundane things of life. And to live as a covenanted people is to live as a people of intentionality. The law given through Moses demonstrates the importance of careful consideration in every little thing. The books of the law reveal that it matters to God how we treat the widow. It matters to God how we treat the orphan, how we treat the stranger. It matters to God what we eat, what we wear, what we do, and when. The small things matter.
I'm not here to lay a heavy burden of guilt on all of you. I promise that. I certainly do not mean to advocate for contests of moral purity, who's doing the most right things at any given moment. But I do mean to inspire conscious reflection, and I do mean to inspire even hope. I do mean to ward off apathy, to ward off a false sense of our powerlessness. Powerlessness and despair that I think we often feel when confronted with the bad news headlines, which is what's spilling out of our door this morning. A powerlessness and how are we going to affect change in the midst of all that crap. I do mean to answer a vehement yes. The little things do matter. The little things make a difference. And this fits right in, I would say, with our Sermon on the Mount ethic as a Mennonite people. The grace of God and the love of Christ offer us a freedom so profound that we are invited to respond out of that freedom in real and concrete and material ways, in radical ways rooted in this sort of text, to the real and the concrete realities of our world, just like we see here. We remain hopeful that we are truly able to affect some change in the world. We act out of We act our faith out of a confidence in the power of God to establish the peaceable realm here and now. Not just out there somewhere, but here and now. And we understand the message of Jesus to be an extension of the law, not the eradication of the law. We don't see Jesus cracking these stone tablets over his knee and doing away with it. But in his preaching, we do see him taking it and reinterpreting it for his time and his place. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus repeats a formula, a formula that's become very familiar to us. You have heard it said, but I say to you. He doesn't throw out the law altogether. He doesn't say, you have heard it said that you ought to eat chocolate ice cream, but I say to you, you ought to mend socks. (laughs) What he does say is, You have heard, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So you can see that reinterpreting. It makes me think, uh, this particular example, some of you may have seen the news this week of a Mennonite in Denver, Colorado, who has chosen to be jailed rather than to testify in a death penalty case. Greta Lindekratz is her name, and she's in jail right now. Um, and uh, one of the stories that I read talked about how in worship with her Mennonite community there in Denver, the church that I was part of when I was there, as she imagined testifying in this death penalty case, her head was cloudy, and when she imagined choosing not to testify, she felt a weight lift and peace descend. That's what this is. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. The little things, which are sometimes the big things, matter. And they make a difference. One of the many gifts of this Jesus that we follow is the way he worked with another of God's great gifts, the law. 
Jesus demonstrated for us that the law is living, that the law is subject to interpretation, that the law ought to be applied to our specific contexts, that in our own times and places, the law takes on new meaning. God gave the covenanted people the gift of the law, and God gave the new covenant people the gift of Jesus, and we in this room are inheritors of both. That's the good news of the law. God doesn't just leave the Hebrew people with abstractions of covenant and a chiding good luck figuring it out. And God doesn't just leave us with abstractions either. In the establishing of the law, God gives concrete examples, hundreds of them in fact, of what it means to live the covenant. Practically, concretely. God points to the importance of the small things in the living of the covenant. The point for those of us who read that earlier testament through the lens of a newer testament, those of us who read that earlier testament through the millennia of Christian theological interpretation, those of us who read that earlier testament through our experience as 21st century citizens in this world, the point is not so much in the specifics of the small L laws, which may or may not be applicable in our time, in our place, in our lives, in our situation. The point is the spirit of those laws. So it might not matter so much to God if we wear polyester blends in this time and place. But it might just matter to God who made our clothing and where and under what conditions. That that might matter. The small things matter to God. The small things matter enough to God that God offers us the law through the ancient Israelites and in Christian contexts read through the story of Jesus, the life and the ministry and the teachings of Jesus. Now, as a Christian, I inherited a sense that grace and law were not only anti- like distinct from one another, but antithetical, that grace was superior to the law and rendered the law a waste of space and time. And that is some down-home Christian supersessionism, folks. That is what that is. That's domination. (laughs) A supersessionism that I reject, even as I venture into the very tricky territory of this sermon. I've come to believe something very different about grace and the law. I believe that God's grace gave birth to the law, that it was a gift of grace for God's covenanted people. Because I believe that God's grace is for all of us and for all of creation, if we go back to that Noah covenant that we started with, because God's grace is for all, the law helps us to see and recognize the connections. It helps us to attune, uh, it helps us to attune ourselves to the web, to the all of creation with which God makes a covenant following the flood. And then Jesus takes that law and applies it and reinterprets it for his time and place. And we do the same for our time and place. The Ten Commandments, the first ten words of this law, were according tradition written in stone, etched in heavy stone tablets. And Exodus 31, which we didn't hear this morning, has this lovely image of God's finger etching the law into the stone. The finger of God delicately etching a gift 
for the covenanted people born of God's grace, born of God's desire to see grace for all people and all creation. This is a God who cares enough about the small things to get specific. A God revealed in the embodied person of Jesus who cared enough about the small things as to reinterpret them for his time and his place and to model a way by which we too may actively live this new yet ancient covenant with our God, the God of small things. The God of small things matter. Thanks be to God. And let us sing together. We're going to sing in our purple songbooks, sing the story songbooks, Come to Me, Come to Us. It's number 60. This is both a hymn of response to the message that we've heard, but also a hymn of preparation as we prepare to come to the table together to receive symbols of this new covenant that Jesus offered us. Let's sing together. <laughs> 